Uh, this weekend, Pastor Melanie and I, we went on our baby moon, because if you haven't noticed, she's very pregnant. Um, so we went on our baby moon this weekend, went to Mobile, Alabama, and we had a great time, and Melanie had a great idea for us to get massages. Massage. Why can't I say that word? Massages. I'm going to say it fast. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But she had this great idea. I was like, all right, cool. You know, I've had, I've gotten one of those before. I've gotten a few and I love them. They're always great. I always go from like a constant state of like asleep to awake. It's always nice and relaxing. Well, I go into this massage and there's this little lady standing there and she goes, uh, hey, how hard do you want this massage? I said, like a seven out of 10. She goes, oh, all right. Well, I'm going to go stretch. I'll be back. <laughs> and at that moment, I knew I had made a mistake. I said, yeah, my legs are really tight. You know, maybe, you know, I'll stretch. I'll be back. So this lady comes back and proceeds to try to kill me for 50 minutes. I'm on the table. I'm, I'm like doing like this the whole time. She, she, at one point, she's on my, she's got my back and she's got her whole body and she's doing this and she hits a tender spot. And every time I've ever had a massage and they hit a tender spot, you know, they might massage it a little softly and then move on. Now, this lady took it as a personal challenge when she found a tender spot to dig her whole body into that thing. And it, it was just so painful. But I purposed in my heart when I was getting this massage that I was not going to tell her to lighten up because I knew that my legs were so tight and that my back hurt all the time. And so I was like, I don't care how bad this thing hurts because I know in a couple hours I'm going to feel amazing. And when it, the massage got over, I was like, dude, I, I feel bruised. <laughs> I not, do not feel good. But a little while after, I started to feel really good about it. And so, you know, how many people know that there's times in your life where things hurt and they're hard and they're difficult, but in the end, in the long term, they lead to something better? So it doesn't matter how much pain you might experience in the short term or how much sacrifice you might take in the short term. In the long term, it works out for you. And Melanie gets done the massage and, and she looks at me and she's like, that was so relaxing. <laughs> Great for you. I'm over here sweating because that hurt. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you, you go to make that decision, right? We've all had those decisions of like, I know what I'm supposed to do right now, but it's not really what I want to do right now. The other day I was driving home, and y'all, I love McDonald's fries. I'm going to be real. Y'all, yeah, we know. We know you like McDonald's fries. But I love McDonald's fries. They're great. And I, I got done a long day, and I was like, man, I just want to go through the drive-thru real quick. And that's kind of, if you go through a long day, you think to go through a drive-thru. But how many people have had that before where you're like, man, I've had a long day, and now I'm going to go to food for comfort. And that's one of those, like, church sins that, are, that we're all cool with, but... So I, I, I go to go through this drive-thru, and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need a short-term, temporary thing that's just going to make me feel better for 10 minutes. And sometimes we have those decisions. It's like that, like in a the cartoon. They got the little angel and a little devil on your shoulder trying to tell you what to do. But you know what the right thing to do is, but sometimes what we want to do overrides what we know we ought to do. And you have to be careful. And Pastor Chris started a series um, on influence. And today I'm preaching on internal influence. The person that has the most influence over you is yourself. Because you can have so many external influences, but you're the person that needs to ultimately make the decision. You know, I could have, my wife could have texted me, been like, don't go to McDonald's. 
I could have called an accountability partner like, bro, I need you to hold me accountable here. But ultimately, I had to make the decision not to go in there. You have to, uh, you're the person that influences you the most. So uh, today I want to talk to you about character. And this is my definition of character. Character is consistently doing the right thing over the easy thing. Character is consistently doing the right thing over the uh, easy thing. Now, I want to read Romans 6, verse 16. It says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? There's two masters that you can serve in life. That's it. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. And that's it. And we like to think, you know, if I go to church and I give my life to Jesus and I say the prayer, then that means I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm free from sin. But it says right here, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You see here, Paul's writing to people that have already given their life to Jesus. He's not talking about people that are that are enslaved to sin, quote unquote. He's saying right here, you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose. You become it. And so if you always make decisions based on what you want to do rather than what's right to do, then what slave are you obeying? You have those two different masters in a way. Now, before Jesus, right, it's, it, it feels like it's almost impossible to do the right thing. I remember when I was, when I was young, I think I told you all this before, the thing that I would do all the time is I would just go off on my mama. My mama's here. Mama, I love you. I'm sorry that I was a jerk when I was a kid. But, and I remember being, I, I mean, I, y'all, I would curse her out. I would go off on her. I mean, we would have some serious, like, my mama, we would get into it. But, and I remember being in my room, like 11, 12 years old, and I remember just crying and being like, why do I keep doing this? Like, why do I keep, like, I, I'm sick of punching walls. Like, why am I keep, I keep doing it? I didn't know Jesus yet, and I was a slave to sin, and it seemed like no matter what I did, I couldn't get free from it. But the difference is now, I'm set free from that. And so as a Christian, you have a choice, right, to, to choose to be a slave to sin or choose to be a slave to righteousness, a slave to the right thing. But the thing about being a slave to righteousness is that means that you do what is right even when it's not easy. Now, and, and I like to think of sin kind of like two different ways, right? We like to think of it in church as sin is the wrong things that you shouldn't do, right? We know these, these are like murder, don't get drunk, don't sleep around, like we know all these things. But there's also sin when you know what is right to do, but you still don't do it. That's sin as well. It's James 417. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That's one of those verses I don't like. It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Because look, that's easy for me now. Like, I mean, I'm not going to murder nobody. I'm not going to, like, I don't get tempted to do drugs. I don't get tempted to drink anymore, really. But the hard stuff, I feel like, is when you know what you should do and you know you have to do it. When you're like, I can get away with this. I could have easily went through the drive through that day, but I knew I would be going to food for comfort rather than going to Jesus for comfort. And because I knew what was right, I couldn't do that. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump into God's word. Lord God, we love you. I thank you um, for this morning, God, that I get to share this word that you've given me. 
God, I pray that it cuts deep, that it loves deep, and uh, that it just goes forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's one thing that I can sum up in this message, one thing for you to get out of this, is that you are the biggest influence to yourself. You know, when we first give our life to Jesus, it's a lot of just people telling us what we should do. But there comes a point, just like when you grow up as a kid, where you have to start making decisions on your own. Like, there's a point when you're a teenager where you realize, if I eat ice cream for dinner, nobody's going to notice. But there comes a point where you got to know inside yourself, like, what you're going to do and not rely on anybody else. Now, I want to go to one of my favorite stories in the Bible here. This is like, Genesis is like my favorite book. Thank you, sir. Genesis is like my favorite book. Maybe Romans or Hebrews is like close. It's in the top three. But I want to read a story about a man named Joseph. And what I love about Joseph is to me, he is just an example of character. He's like the picture of what it looks like to have character. When everything goes wrong, Joseph still remains a man of God. And so I want to go into that. But in order to do that, I need to make sure this is okay with y'all. We got to read a little bit of scripture here. All right, that's a good chunk of scripture. Are y'all okay? I feel like the tendency in church is when you read a lot of scripture to zone out. I want to encourage you not to zone out. So right now for the next minute or two as we read this, these scriptures, I want you looking at the screen, zone in, because I promise you it's going to pay off because it's a great uh, chunk of scripture here. But we're going to jump around a little bit in Genesis 39. We'll start in verse 2. Um, oh, before that, let me give you a little background. I should probably do that first. Joseph was, his dad's name was Jacob. You all heard of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph's the, the next generation. And Joseph was um, Jacob's favorite son. Anybody got siblings in here and you're like, they're obviously the favorite? I don't have that problem because I know I'm the favorite. But Joseph was the favorite and his dad gave him this nice coat of many colors. It was super expensive. It was just to show that like, I love you. You're valuable. I'm putting it on you. And Joseph's brothers didn't really like this, right? They were mad because they're like, why is Joseph the favorite? And one day Joseph has this bright idea to tell his brothers about a dream that he had. And just to summarize, the dream was something along the lines of, one day y'all are all going to bow down to me. Now, if you have a younger sibling, right, if my, if my little brother Jesse came to me and said, one day you're going to bow down to me, i say, yeah, right. Ain't no way I'm going to bow down to you, boy. And that's what they tell Joseph. That's what Joseph tells him. So they come up with a plan to kill Joseph. That's what you do to younger siblings. And so they, they decide, let's, you know, maybe we won't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. That's probably nicer. So they sell, they sell Joseph into slavery. They take his coat. They cover the animal's blood. They go to their dad and they say, you know, Joseph, we found, Joseph's, uh, we found his coat. And Jacob assumes that an animal ate him and that he's dead. And he grieves forever. Super sad story. But now that brings us to where we are now. Joseph is in slavery in Egypt. And now if I stopped there and I was like, what happens next? And you didn't know this story. I would think Joseph would have a heart issue. I would think he'd be pretty upset that his brothers sold him into slavery. Like wherever he goes next, like if I was him, I'd be so mad at God. that Like I would just be like, dude, forget it. Like I'm not a man of God anymore. God, like you literally allowed me to get sold into slavery. But this is what happens with Joseph. We'll go to verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did 
as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And then we'll go to verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete, that's his, that's his master now in Egypt, Potiphar. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned with Joseph there. He didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Y'all listen to this because it's crazy. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master, trust me with everything in, the, in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. Don't zone out. Keep going. Here we go. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So here's Joseph. He's sold into slavery. And his, his master's wife starts trying to come after him. And, y'all, like, just thinking from Joseph's mindset, this dude has been sold into slavery. He has been, his dad that he loved thinks he's dead now. He's, like, there's no reason for Joseph to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's going to be a great sin against God. Like, I would think he'd be mad at God. But he says, I'm not going to do that because it's going to be a great sin against God. And I prayed about this, this passage here and said, God, what led Joseph to have such great character? That no matter what situation he was in, he excelled at it. Like, what, what, how was his life different? Because there's so many stories in the Bible of men of God that if they were in this situation, they would have gave in. And they would have had a great, like, redemption story. But Joseph never gave in to that. So, like, God, what was the difference? And he gave me three things that I want to share with you this morning. And it, I believe these are the three keys to having character. The first thing is that is identity. You have to understand who you are. You have to understand who you are. Can you go to uh, Genesis 37.3? You pull that up. I might not have given you that one. I'm sorry. I'll read it here. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. You see, listen, Joseph knew who he was. He knew that my daddy loves me, and he got his value from that, and not only from his earthly father, but he knew that his heavenly father loved him. And I don't, you know, you might not have had an earthly dad that showed you your value or that showed you how much you're valued, but I want to tell you today that you are valued. And Joseph knew that when he went into slavery, he didn't start acting like all the other slaves did. He still walked like Jacob's son. He still walked like somebody that had value, that somebody that was special. And so when he went into slavery in Egypt in Potiphar's house, he excelled past everything where it says his master was able to delegate all his responsibilities to him. He excelled in there because he understood who he was. Listen, your, your external circumstance does not determine who you are. Who God has called you to be and told you you are, that's who you are. And so it doesn't matter if you're in you're in slavery like Joseph was. You're not, you have value past that. You have value past that. And if you don't know who you are, let me tell you who you are. 
you are loved so much by God that he was willing to give up his son for you. And we say that all the time in church and it gets glossed over, but y'all think about that. My, my girls aren't here yet on, on outside of the womb, but I couldn't imagine giving one of them up for anybody, nothing. But he saw you as valuable enough to do that. He was willing to die for you. He was willing to go through a torture thing. And let me tell you something, Jesus never hesitated in dying for you because he wanted you so badly. You know, when, when Melanie and I were, were dating and I would drive to Texas, and you know, I counted one time, I drove back and forth to Texas like 20 times over the course of our dating. I never hesitated to take that trip because I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to be with her. Jesus never hesitated to provide a way to be able to spend time with you because he loves you so much and he sees you as so valuable. And so, you know how you walk in character? You walk in that identity. That I'm so valuable. I'm so valuable that Jesus was willing to die for me and so I'm not going to deal with things that I shouldn't be dealing with. You know what my prayer is for the girls and youth? Is that not that they'd walk in purity, and for the guys too, but that they'd walk in purity, not because it's what they're supposed to do, just because they know that everything else is just underneath them. Because that's not who they are. That's not what, what God has created them to be. It, it's something that's under them. And so it's so much easier to have character when you know, wait, I'm, God's called me higher than this. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in things I shouldn't be participating in because God's called me higher than this. This is something that I don't participate in because it, it's not who I am. And if you would just get who you are and who he sees you to be, it would be so much easier to not fall into a place where you shouldn't be. And I'm not just talking about the sins that are, that are actions that are wrong. I'm talking about the things you know you should do that are right. You got to know who you are. You got to understand your identity. You got to understand your identity. Jacob, Joseph never let his circumstance change who he was. Wherever he was, he excelled because he knew who he was. First one is identity. The second thing is, you can go throw it up. The second is dream of greatness. When I was praying about this, the subtitle in my Bible, it says, Joseph dreamed of greatness. And that's what I want you to do. Dream of greatness. Have vision for your life. So, like I told you earlier, Joseph had a dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. He had a dream that um, they would do that and that he would be in a place of greatness one day. And Joseph didn't allow that to just be a like, you know, when he got sold into slavery, uh, I'll get my brothers back one day. No, he used it as a thing of like, I'm destined to do something great. So it doesn't matter if I'm in slavery right now. Later in the chapter, he gets put into prison for what Potiphar's wife says about him. It doesn't matter what his situation was. He still said that I'm going to, I'm destined to do something great. And I'm telling you this morning <clears throat> that you are destined to do something great. I feel like in, in our community, especially, there's just this mindset of good enough. Like, like, every, like it's good enough. Like, we, we can be comfortable. God doesn't operate in the good enough. He's looking for people that are going to say, I'm going to do what is right, and I'm not just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to be the best that I possibly can be. I'm going to excel in every way possible. And it's not me excelling that makes God love me, but it's because God loves me that I'm going to excel and be great and, and go forward with what he's put in my heart. And I feel like God has or is or will put passions in your heart. But if you 
just so like, ah, it's good enough, then you're never going to achieve what you're supposed to achieve. You know, I, I, I have some really big dreams for the youth ministry here, some really big ones that, like, I cannot accomplish without Jesus. If you don't have goals in your life that you can't accomplish without Jesus, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. In business, they call it uh, BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. You need big, hairy, audacious goals for your life, and not just things that you think would be cool, but things that God has put on the inside of you. I believe there's people in here that you're going to go to Pastor Chris and say, hey, I want to know what, how much I have to give every year to be in the top five givers of the church, because I want to outdo everybody. Hey, how much do you think I need to pray every day to just be the top person that prays the most in the church? Like, what can I do? What can I do to be the best that I can be and excel and be great? And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, like, teachers in our congregation. I want administrators to look at a teacher and say, dang, they must be a Christian. They must go to the tabernacle because they don't, I mean, they got a four. I wish there was a five on this observation sheet because they should get that. I want, I want them to look at students and say, man, they excel. Like, they, they don't just go for the bare minimum. They're doing everything they could do. I want people to look at their employees and go, dang, they must go to the tabernacle. They must be a Christian because they're doing such a good job. Dream big. This culture of good enough needs to stop. And I think it starts here. It starts in this church. It starts here right now. I'm just sick of good enough. Like, you know, we, we, you know, and I feel like anytime I visit another city, I'm like, wow, this is so nice. Why is it not nice? In New Orleans, or like in the parish, like what, what's going on? It's a culture of it's good enough. Like it's okay. God wants to excel, and he wants you to excel. Because the thing is, when you have a long-term vision, the day-to-day temptation doesn't really matter anymore because you have a goal. You know, it, it was easy for me to wake up to do football conditioning. Like Coach, Coach DeHardy was so annoying. Let me tell you what he did to us. He would make us in January. Y'all, football starts in August, last time I checked. In January, he had all the offensive linemen wake up at 6 o'clock. Well, we had to be there at 6.15 in the weight room for conditioning. It's January. Like, what is he doing? But it was easy for me to wake up every morning. Why? Because I knew that in August a game was coming, and I knew that I wanted to achieve something. It's so much easier to do the things you know you should do when you have an end goal in mind. But a lot of people, they don't have an end goal in mind. They don't have a vision. And so they're like, I'll just skip church this week. Or I won't go to group this week. Or whatever it is, if you have a goal in mind, it's so much easier to stay on track. So the first thing is you need to be confident in your identity. You need to dream big. And one, one thing before I move off of there. Don't let insecurity in one of your weaknesses stop you from excelling in one of your strengths. God will use you in your weakness, but I truly believe he's put giftings on the inside of you that he wants you to excel at and be the best you can be at. But don't let insecurity of a weakness stop you because he's not expecting you to walk in something that you're not gifted in. God's never going to expect me to go on a worship tour. I don't have that gifting. Like, it's not going to happen. I mean, if you think I should do it, Cody, like we can get together. But I don't think God's going to expect me to do that. When, I, when I, was, I was telling Raph this last night, but when I was younger, I played bitty basketball, five and six, all-stars. I was only on the team because my dad was the coach, and I knew that at five years old. 
I was terrible. And I remember my dad had a rule that every kid played at least a quarter. But I, that didn't apply to me because I was a son. So I remember one game, it's fourth quarter, two minutes left. And I'm like, dang, I haven't played yet. My dad looks at me and goes, you played yet? I said, no. He said, get in. So I'm thinking, all right, at least I got two minutes. A minute left, my dad pulls me out. <laughs> pulled me out of the game. I knew I wasn't good at it. He, my dad never pushed me in basketball. He wasn't waking me up early because he knew I wasn't gifted in it, clearly. But then when I got into eighth grade and I was captain of the quiz bowl team, my dad didn't know nothing about trivia. But let me tell you something. He pulled up in the classrooms. And if you don't know quiz bowl, you go in a classroom. It's very quiet. You just buzz in and say your answer. My dad tried to bring an air horn into the quiz bowl tournament. Had to stop him. I get one question right. He goes, yes. I said, shh. Like he didn't say, but my dad saw something I was gifted in and he was pushing me in it. Listen, when you walk in something that's a strength and you're excelling in that, your daddy God, he gets excited about it. He gets excited about it because he wants to see you grow in, in the giftings that he's given you. So don't let insecurity of a weakness stop you from excelling in a strength. The third thing is remain faithful. You need unwavering faithfulness towards God. What blows my mind about this story, if you go to um, Genesis 3, um, that's not good. What am I talking Oh, there we go. All right, Genesis 39, verse 9. This is what blows my mind about this story, is that whenever Potiphar's wife's coming at Joseph, he doesn't say this is going to be a great sin against Potiphar. He doesn't say, like, this is going to be a great sin against anybody, except he says, how can I do such a wicked thing against God. How can I do something so terrible to God? This is after this guy has been sold into slavery, cut off from his family, his dad thinks he's dead, and he's saying, how can I sin against God like this? How can I sin against God like that? He had an unwavering faithfulness towards God. Every time we sin, every time we sin, whether by doing something we shouldn't, or not doing something we should, we are sinning against God. We're deciding to follow another master than the master. When you have an unwavering faithfulness towards God and saying, God, I want to do what pleases you, not because I have to do anything to be in right standing with you, just because I want to make you smile. I want you to know that just you love me enough to die for me, and I want to show you with every step and every action I take that I love you back. That's unwavering faithfulness. And so when God calls you to start waking up, an hour before work to pray. I'm going to do that because I want to please him. When God says, you know, is pushing me to get connected in a life group, I'm going to show up because I know that's what he wants me to do and I, I want him to know that I love him. I want to show it with all of my actions. You know, if, if Melanie tells me, oh, hey, man, you haven't taken me on a date in a long time, I'm going to take her on a date. Why? Because I want her to know that I love her. And so when God asks you to do something or put something on your heart to do, do it to show him how much you love him. Do it to show him how much you love him. So you need to know who you are. You need to dream big. And you need to have unwavering faithfulness towards God. Now, something else in here is that, you know, the reason that character matters is because it matters to God. And something you see from Joseph right here is that character is something that needs to be guarded. We'll go to uh, Genesis 39, 11 through 12. Uh, we'll start in verse 10, actually. 
It says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Listen, you need to make it as easy as possible for yourself to listen to the right master. You need to make it as easy as possible for yourself. It says that she came at Joseph day after day, but one day she called him alone, which tells me that there weren't many times when Joseph ever allowed himself to be alone with her after she went after him. Y'all, don't flirt with sin. Make it as easy as possible for yourself to not fall into it. If you know that there's somebody that before you were Christian or even after, that you've fallen into temptation with, don't go by their house. Like, bring a friend. Don't hang out with them. Like, this is, is simple things. My wife has, like, I, I have restricted on my phone where I can't look up any, like, adult content. Like, there's a code that is put in there. It's a parental control that she has the code to. I can't even look stuff up if I wanted to. And some guys in here, you need to put that on your phone. You need to go to your wife and say, hey, in here so I can't look up anything I'm not supposed to put barriers in your life to make it as hard for yourself as possible to fall into that Joseph made sure people are around but then in the time when temptation came when it got past one of the safeguards that he put up what did he do he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house this dude didn't walk out the house he didn't slowly go out. He didn't politely say, no, no thanks. He ran out of the house. He ran to a position where he wouldn't be able to fall into that temptation. And that's what you need to do. Put yourself in a position where you can't fall into that temptation. If you're like, man, I know when I get off of work tonight that I'm going to be very tempted to not go to life group because I'm going to be tired. You text somebody in your life group, say, hey, can I pick you up for life group? Or you text them, can you pick me up? Because when they show up at your house, it's going to be much easier for you to get in the car than it is for you to get in the car by yourself. Set up things in your life um, to make it easier for you to do that. I want to reiterate James 4.17. Can you pull that back up? Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. You need to put, you need to really, like, hear me out on this. Look at your life and look at the things that you are tempted to do. It might be cheating on your taxes. It might be, you know, being inconsistent with going to church. It might be that you just never witnessed on anybody. You never, you keep Jesus to yourself. Like, take an inventory of the things that you struggle with and go to somebody and say, I need help with this. I need help with this. See, Raph right here is my accountant. I got a Christian accountant. So if I, I can't cheat on my taxes, like he literally won't let me. I can't do it. If I don't tithe, he's going to know about it. Like, I, I had, like you have to put things in your life like that or people in your life like that that are going to tell you and hold you accountable. If not, it's going to be way too easy um, to not do it. You know, I, I told you, you're the biggest influence in your life. But you can set up external influences for it to make it easier for you to make those decisions on your own. You know, there was, a, there was a young guy that uh, came to youth camp, and he told me, and he's not here, so i got to call him after I tell you what he told me. He, 
uh, at youth camp. He was kind of new, and he got touched by Jesus. And I remember him coming to me before last service and was like, hey, I need you to make sure when we get home that I just don't leave. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, this week is all about Jesus, and it's been great. But when I get home, it's going to be the real world, and I need you to make sure that I stay. I need you to make sure I still serve Jesus. That's basically what he told me. And so do things like that. Like literally go to your life group leader and say, hey, I need help with this. I don't read my Bible. I need you to make me read my Bible. And that in itself, because it's, it, y'all, like it's, this is internal influence. If your life group leader comes to you and says, hey, let's do this reading plan together, versus you going to them and saying, hey, can we do this reading plan together? Which one are you more likely to stick with? The one that you decided to do. So do that for yourself. And the last thing I want to say about character, and I'll close with this, is that having character leads to promotion. Having character leads to promotion. Because he proved himself a little, God was happy to promote Joseph to a great position. I remember those when I told you about a BHAG earlier, big, hairy, audacious goals. You know how you reach those? You consistently obey the right master's voice over time. You do what you're supposed to do. You wake up, you read, you pray, you excel wherever you are. That's how you reach those goals. That's how you accomplish that dream. If Joseph had, God had given him that passion and that dream, right, that one day you're going to be a leader of your family. Joseph would have never reached that if he wasn't consistent everywhere he went. There's passion and there's vision that I believe God's putting in your heart that he wants you to accomplish, but you'll never reach it if you don't put the work in and consistently do what is right over what is easy.